Recording in progress. And I was muted. That doesn't help. Albert. <laughs> oh, I couldn't hear Sorry. you. Present. Excellent. No, I was saying I was absent, actually. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a presence. Thank you. Johnson? Present. Kelly? Present. Marrero? Present. Martinak? Present. Mizell? Here. Walker? Here. Simon Weisberg? Here. We have a quorum. Great. Um, we're now going to do uh, the land acknowledgement. I'm hoping we have figured it out so we can read it as we're hearing it. Yes. Um, I had figured it out. I just had not done it correctly last time. So let, let's, uh, I'll get my second chance today. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Sure. All right. One second. Okay. Can you all see the uh, text on the screen? No. You cannot. Okay. And before I share it, hold on just a second. Hmm. Okay, just a sec. Let me try this again. Okay. The Berkeley Rent Stabilization Board recognizes that the rental housing units we regulate are built on the territory of the Huchun the ancestral and unceded land of the Chocheno-speaking Ohlone people, the ancestors and descendants of the sovereign Verona Band of Alameda County. This land was and continues to be of great importance to all of the Ohlone tribes and descendants of the Verona Band. As we begin our meeting tonight, we acknowledge and honor the original inhabitants of Berkeley, the documented 5,000-year history of a vibrant community at the West Berkeley Shell Mound, and the Ohlone people who continue to reside in the East Bay. We recognize that Berkeley's landlords and tenants have and continue to benefit from the use and occupation of this unceded stolen land since the city of Berkeley's incorporation in 1878 and since the Rent Stabilization Board's creation in 1980. As stewards of the laws regulating rental housing, it is not only vital that we recognize the history of this land, but also recognize that the Ohlone people are present members of Berkeley and other East Bay communities today. Great, thank you. Were you able to see the text? Yes, it was fabulous. Excellent, thank you. <laughs> so we are now going to go to <coughs> the approval of the agenda. And this is when people can um, also say, you know, who we will be ha holding our meeting in honor of um, in case um, folks wanted to do that. I know that one of the ones I wanna include is um, the late supervisor Valle who passed who was an incredible advocate for all working people, but also particularly had been very um, key to ensuring that we had a strong moratorium and um, had supported um, both the fair chance ordinance, um, but also um, just cause and uh, just deeply, deeply missed. Um, is there any, anybody else that we want to recognize? All right. Um, any other changes in the agenda? Uh, Amy, and then um, Vice Chair uh, Alpert. 
Oh, I, I just wanted to get the correct spelling of the <clears throat> person who we're adjourning in honor of. If V A L L E. And that person was a, did you say a county supervisor? Correct. Okay. Thank you. And um, uh, Vice Chair Alpert? Um, there was an item that was on the action calendar that I was wondering if it was supposed to be on the information calendar. Uh, it was a Berkeley Fed article. Uh, Noel, I'm going to make some comments oh. on it as part gotcha. of the Never mind. No worries. Um, any anything else? Okay. Um, Commissioner um, Marrero. Thank you, Chair. I wanted to just also honor um, my uh, my I would call comadre um, Commissioner Paola Levende for um, just being an incredible public servant and inspiring um, Latinas like me to serve and to and how to uplift other voices. So I appreciate you allowing me to share that today. Great. Thank you. All right. Any other additions to the agenda? This is when, if there is any order you want to change or if there's anything on the consent calendar that you wanted to move to the action items. All right. Okay. Seeing none, can I get someone to move in a second? Um, so moved. Thank you. A second. I'll second. Thank you. All right. Roll call vote, please. Alpert? <clears throat> Excuse me. Elkstrand? Yes. Johnson? Yes. Kelly? Yes. Marrero? Yes. Martinek? Yes. Mizell? Yes. Walker? Yes. Simon Weisberg? Yes. Motion carries unanimously. Great. All right, we're going to move on to public comment. This is the section uh, where speakers can discuss or bring up or make comments on items that are not agendized. And um, I have, looks like we've got a hand raised. Uh, Zach Boss, if you would like to speak. Mr. Boss. Uh, yeah, I'm here. I don't, I don't know exactly how to use this. Can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not, this is my first time doing this, uh, and I'm not very technologically uh, advanced. Uh, only 39, but it feels like, it. Uh, you know, technology passed me by. Uh, I'm just here as a, um, I'm a property, managing, uh, property manager for my mother uh, who owns a house in the Berkeley Hills. And I'm just here hoping that um, uh, there's some sort of lift of the moratorium um, to evict because I've got um, a couple of people that have been staying uh, at that house for um, a couple of years without paying rent. And it's not always people that have a ton of money. I need that money to help my mom who's been in and out of the hospital and uh, to pay the bills and stuff like that. So that's just kind of why I'm here. I don't know if any of that makes any sense. Um, but that's basically where I'm at. I'm up in the hills by, uh, Euclid and Marin. And, um, yeah, I've, I've had a couple of people that have been kind of taking advantage of, um, the rules that have been in place. And I was told that this was going to be lifted, uh, late last year and it hasn't been yet. So I was just kind of hoping to be a voice for the people, um, where, you know, 
I know it's not exactly Berkeley's not exactly the city of landlord rights, and I understand that. But um, I'm in a situation where I'm thousands and thousands of dollars in debt because I have people that are taking advantage of the system. Thank you. Um, I assume you've tried to apply for the programs. I did. The problem is um, the um, the uh, the persons that have been staying there have. Uh, it's a long story, but basically, my application for uh, rent relief vis-a-vis uh, -vis COVID was deemed ineligible. Um, because I'm, I'm pretty laid back. So I was pretty easy going about rent and whether or not they were working the rent off or paying the rent off or whatever. So I basically, I, I've, I've jumped through as many hoops as I could. Um, but it's, you know, it's well over like $60,000, which is what I just don't have. You know, I'm like at least $40,000 in credit card debt because of all this. And I can't do anything because of the moratorium that's been put in place that I was told was going to be lifted a long time ago. All right. Thank you for calling in. All right. Um, any other um, comments from the attendees on items that are not um, on the agenda tonight? All right. I'm not seeing any other hands raised. So we are now going to move to the part of the public comment where speakers can comment on what is on the agenda. Um, Noah Levy. Did you want to make a comment on something that is on the agenda? Yes. Please go ahead. Hi. Um, good evening, commissioners and everyone listening. Uh, my name is Noah Levy. It's and it's very interesting to hear the previous caller because essentially that's exactly the situation that I'm in. So I hope you're still listening. Um, essentially, I I hope you know, I think the commissioners might remember my case and have read some of the documentation that's been provided. I Thank live. You. At I'm sorry to interrupt you. Are you? Is it for the case um, later in the? Oh, yeah, it's it's, okay. it's for yeah. it's for yeah. item number seven on yeah. the consent just count. Wait and speak then. Oh, I, okay. I thought this was there. There'll be an opportunity for me to speak then. Yeah. Are you a part of the appeal? No, he's he's speaking to the waiver. I'm oh, speaking I'm speaking to the waiver. Yeah, you can go ahead then. I apologize, and we'll let's start his time over. Okay. Thank you. Can can everyone hear me? Yes. Okay. Thank you. So, yeah. So it's this. It's on the consent item. It's it's regarding a discretionary waiver um, for late fees, and I've requested that 100% of the registration late fees be waived um, for extenuating circumstances. Um, and you know, I basically, you know, I moved to this to my family home in in 2020. I took over as property manager for my uh, for my mother. Also in, in the Berkeley Hills, we live um, with this property with our family in the one rental unit. Um, I was not aware of the rent board um, ordinances that you know you guys are experts on. Um, and the, uh, these late fees piled up. Meanwhile, the tenants, the one tenants that we have, have not been paying rent or paying partial rent since 2021. And so around the same time that I was under, you know, paying off my fees, which are currently paid in full, and that my mother has been paying for the last almost 20 years, and we support the rent board's mission and, you know, what you guys do. Um, and so I think, you know, with the, basically the circumstances being that, I, that I've tried to explain to staff 
um, why my waiver should be accepted, um, you know, such that, you know, you know, the tenants have been paying rent and it's causing tremendous financial hardship during a, a very difficult time. Um, and, you know, my, my kids are in Berkeley public schools and we're just trying to make ends meet. So I, I feel like these penalties are excessively high and you guys have to know that it's causing really undue burden on a small homeowner like myself and my family. And on top of the tenants not paying rent, they're really, you know, then we're being charged with these late fees that can easily be waived. And maybe there's some way that we can think about how um, these late fees are assessed um, in general, because, you know, going back to the mission statement, you know, fairness uh, for the landlord is part of that. So I just, I just want to say thank you for, for your time and consideration of this request. Um. We've got the prior uh, commissioner, Paula La Verde, next. Hi there. Hello, commissioners. I just want to speak on the special order of business and the resolution in honor of William Byron Rumford. And I'm so happy that the rent board is, is, is honoring him on this month. You know, right now, 50 years ago, 50 plus years ago, he was able to pass civil rights to help, um, to help uh, renters not be discriminated against uh, for housing. Um, also, he did a lot for labor. Um, and, and, you know, this, you know, but what's hap what happened 50 years ago, we're seeing it again. And this time it's economic discrimination. So if you're a person of color, and, and specifically if you are low income, or, you know, just a regular working class person, you are not, um, the city of Berkeley is not really, um, um, I mean, actually, I'm, I'm diverging. So anyway, so the the um, the former assembly member, uh, Byron Rufford, really did create some uh, great, uh, great laws that passed uh, nationwide. Right now, like I said, we're seeing economic discrimination, you know, and I'm saying that our city of Berkeley is, you know, slashing um, uh, fees for in, in allowing they're, they're literally looking about how they're going to give uh, discounts to developers who are going to be charging um, market rate housing uh, and they're giving discounts to them on the, in lieu fees. So the city's not getting a lot of money, not enough money to build the affordable housing we need. And so at this time, it's good to remember Byron Wimford that he fought for all, everybody. Everybody, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Carlotta Brown. Hi, good evening, everyone. I uh, want to thank you so much. I'm also chiming in on the special order of business for the recommendation to adopt resolution 23-02 in honor and recognition of assembly member William Byron um, Rumsford. And I would like to send a special thank you and special acknowledgement to Chair Simon Weisberg Commissioner Marrero, as well as Commissioner Mizell for um, taking the um, the lead and uh, putting this forth. Um, I wanted to recognize and uplift the significance of you doing this in gratitude and recognition of Black History Month. And in light of this 60 year anniversary of the ordinance passing the Fair Housing Act. Mm -hmm. It's just right. On I apologize for my dogs. That's embarrassing. 
Um, but I, I wanted to um, just chime in and say thank you so much for putting this forward, especially uh, at a time like this with so many renters uh, having um, issues due to the economic environment, the pandemic, uh, and just just really the chaos that's going on in the world causing a lot of instability. And this is just a crescendo moment to say um, thank you for uplifting this. And um, as a supporter, I just want to say thank you for putting this forward. And um, again, I um, appreciate this as well as supporting uh, the recommendation for sending a letter of support for the city of Berkeley's proclamation. Thank you for your time. Great, thank you. All right, seeing no others, we're going to move on to the next um, part of the agenda, which is the special order of business. Um, I'd like to um, turn this over to Commissioner Mazal and Commissioner Marrero. Um, if one of you wants to introduce this item. Yes, well, I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, and first, I want to thank the, the public commenter. I want to thank um, really so many folks in community who have taught me much of the history that I'm still learning of this city and the very important black history of this city. Um, you know, it was my pleasure to bring this forward with Commissioner Marrero and um, your support as well, Chair, um, to really recognize the significance of William Byron Rumford and really the importance of his lasting legacy and, and his words, which I, I think the actions, the words uh, tell us the story of, of a person um, truly passionate about the Berkeley community, truly passionate about solving problems and getting the work done, um, but who also had understanding of the larger picture and how it plays into each and every facet really of our society. Um, he worked very clearly in terms of fair employment practices, in terms of integration of the National Guard, in terms of, of course, housing. And, you know, we see in every area, obviously, challenges um, because of the systemic racism of this country, which he certainly recognized. And you know, I guess beyond just the legislative work, which we're honoring here, it's the importance of forming community um, and how that itself is tangible in making the changes we need. Um, you know, I've, I learned actually a couple of years ago about the, the pharmacy um, and how, well, obviously it was a pharmacy itself as so many other black spaces have become, it's a place of organizing. It's a place of community. It's a place of service, but it's not a single thing. It's, it's you know, was a place truly for and by community. So it's truly my pleasure to bring this forward. I'm with my colleagues as well. Um, for Black History Month. I want to thank staff as well for, for their patience and due diligence with this. Um, certainly in the future, I will do a better job of making sure. <laughs> I mean, I'll deadline everything necessary, um, but I really want to bring this forward as, as my first item and our first item um, to really celebrate this important history at, at this important moment. So um, I guess I'll leave you with this quote and I'll, I'll turn it over to Commissioner Morrell. There is no meaningful compromise with racial justice. Either we have a constitution which protects the civil and personal liberty of all people, or we do not. And I think those are lasting words in terms of his legacy and the work uh, for this board and, frankly, the city going forward. Thank you. 
Um, Commissioner Moreiro, before you speak, I just wanted to say that it's customary that someone read the resolution. So maybe when you're you're done with your words, I don't know um, if Commissioner Rizal, you wanted to go ahead and read the resolution. Uh, Commissioner, would you, would you rather give your words now or? Yes, I can give a few words and then it'd be great if, if uh, you could read the resolution. Um, good evening. Um, my name is Vanessa Murrow. I'm, I'm a commissioner here on the rent board and I just want to take the um, this same time to again thank an incredible leader, someone who I see as a model, as a credible model, and her trailblazing work around equity um, and ensuring um, public servitude and that there's a future. Paula Lavende, who is on today. Um, she's an inspiration to me, other Latinas, as well as, as, well as other um, public servants. And um, she um, nudged me about this item, um, which is definitely um, a testament of how she uplifts not only the Latinos of the world, but also all people. So thank you, um, Commissioner Lorende, for all that you do and continue to do. Um, one thing that I'll just say to add to Commissioner Bazell's comments is that um, Assembly Member Rumsfeld was um, not only a steadfast leader and a model for the city of Berkeley, he was a leader and a model globally. In fact, Black Path, which is a um, con which is contributed by a team of 900 volunteers across the globe has used their, um, their historians to ensure that there was research about assembly member Rumsford. And um, one of the things that they, they cite in, in their work, which I um, hear, I kind of just, I'm gonna give you a quote, is that Rumsford served seven, um, served eight consecutive terms in the 17th district assemblyman until 19, 66 and at the height of his career in the mid 1960s he was considered a possible replacement of one of the state's ailing u.s senators largely because of his ties with the liberal democratic governor edmund g pat brown today rumford is the best member for three pieces of legislation one being the california fair employment practices act of 1959 which is what um Commissioner Paola had mentioned, as well as the Good Samaritan Act in 1959, which um, garnered national attention and the law that bore his name, the Rumford Fair Housing Act of 1962, which failed to survive in referendum, um, challenged by Proposition 14, however, was upheld in the US Supreme Court in a very famous ruling that we all know of. Um, I wanted to just mention today that we, you know, I'm so um, also honored that in our audience, we have Doug Harris. Um, Doug Harris is a um, historian, has told this story um, about um, Mr. Rumsfeld in a way that has been compelling. And that has um, not only been in Berkeley, right? That's been worldwide. I mean, from PBIS to, um, to Doug Harris speaking with Dr. Cornell West. It is really impressive what, um, what history we have. And I wanted to say that this is just um, one, one mem memory, right? But we wanna make sure that every day 
we remember what our Black leaders do for us and continue to do for us here in Berkeley and at large. So thank you for, for the time and I'll, I'll put it back to you, Commissioner Mazzell. Thank you. Um, and like I said, go ahead, Sharon, and, and read the resolution then. Well, usually I was going to say that I would, you know, that you would do it or one of the, you want to read it or you want me to? <laughs> I'll, I'll allow you, Chair. I'll allow you. Okay. Um, be it resolved by the Rent Stabilization Board of the City of Berkeley as follows. Whereas William Byron Rumsfeld was an assembly member, pharmacist, and longtime member of the South Berkeley community. And whereas Rumford overcame racism in the hiring and certification process to become the first black person at Highland Hospital Pharmacy Department. And whereas Rumford later opened Rumford's Pharmacy in South Berkeley, which served as a place of service, community, and organizing for South Berkeley's black community for several decades. And whereas Rumford contributed to the Berkeley interracial community a committee that worked to welcome new Berkeleyans from the South. And whereas in 1944, Rumfeld was appointed by Governor Warren to serve on the Rent Control Board as part of a federal effort to stabilize rents during World War II. And whereas in 1948, Rumfeld became the first African-American from Northern California elected to the California State Assembly with significant support from Berkeley's Black community. And whereas upon entering the legislature, Assembly Member Rumfeld quickly worked to combat racial discrimination by sponsoring legislation to end segregation of the California National Guard. And whereas Rumfeld sponsored the 1959 Fair Employment Practice Act, making it illegal for employers to discriminate based on race, creed, color, national origin, or ancestry. And I didn't print out the full resolution, so I know what's that. Okay. Um, whereas despite great challenges in the legislature, Rumfeld introduced and passed the landmark 1963 Rumfeld Fair Housing Act, which banned discrimination in housing across the state. And whereas backlash to the Rumsfeld Act ultimately failed to nullify the act as Proposition 14, a direct challenge to the act was ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court and a decision was affirmed by the United States Supreme Court in Reitman v. Mulkey. And whereas the Rumsfeld Act served as a model for the National Fair Housing Act of 1968, which prohibited housing discrimination on the basis of ethnicity, religion, or national origin. And whereas William Bryan Ramsfeld said there is no meaningful compromise with racial justice, either we have a constitution which protects the civil and personal liberties of all people, or we do not. Now, therefore, be it resolved in commemoration of Black History Month the Black Rent Stabilization—excuse me—the Berkeley Rent Stabilization Board expresses its deepest appreciation for the many outstanding contributions made by William Byron Rumford through his tremendous work and advocacy for civil rights in Berkeley and throughout the nation. And that is the language of the revo the resolution. I'm going to. This is actually something we get to to vote on, and that we all are adopting this resolution. So if we can get roll call, please. Can I get a mover and a seconder, please? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm assuming that the two, um, Commissioner Mazzell and 
Commission. I'd like to motion. I'll second. Great. Okay, so this is adopting resolution 2302. Alpert. Elkstrand? Yes. Johnson? Yes. Kelly? Yes. Marrero? Yes. Marchinak? Yes. Mizell? Yes. Walker? Yes. Simon Weisberg? Yes. Motion carries unanimously. So, yeah, this is exciting, everybody. Um, has anyone, the next item is um, the recommendation that the board send a letter of support. Um, was staff able to confirm that the city did introduce a resolution? They have not that I'm aware of at this point. Great. So I'm, I'm wondering if we should just pause since we have already done the recommendation. So is it okay if we take that item off since the city hasn't actually done that? Okay, great. Um, but you know, we've done it ourselves. So, um, Commissioner Alpert, did you want to? I was just going to suggest, because I know in the past, the board has voted to authorize the chair and vice chair to send a letter. We could just vote to authorize the letter be sent, but if it's, we don't have to send it if it's not happening. Okay. I have, I have no problem. Can I get a, would you like to make that motion? Sure. And... I will move that we authorize the chair and vice chair to send a letter to the council uh, expressing our support for the, for the proclamation that is described if that proclamation is, is being presented. Second. Great. Um, let's do a quick roll call vote, please. Albert? Aye. Elkstrand? Yes, sorry. That's right. Johnson? Yes. Kelly? Yes. Marrero? Yes. Martinak? Yes. Mizell? Yeah. Walker? Yes. Simon Weisberg? Yes. Motion carries unanimously. Great. So amazingly, we are exactly at 7.30, and so we can now transition into the appeal. Um, so if we can go ahead and see if um, the parties are here. So... This is for case number T5991, reference to 2705 Ridge Road. It appears that both parties are listed in the attendees. Would you like me to promote them to panelists? Yes, please. So Vivek Nair and Michael Parto, you've both been promoted to panelists. And they are both panelists now. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask the general counsel if you can, um, if you want to go ahead and just say the statement regarding the, well, to the, the, to the two parties, um, essentially, who is the, I, I don't seem to have the, um, in the future, we should have the name of the, the parties in the listing on the agenda, if we can remember. Um, you can so, go ahead and take it if you'd like. Okay. Um, so in this case, Michael Parto is the um, appellant, 
and uh, Vivek Nair, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, is the uh, respondent. Um, so I'll go ahead and read uh, the preamble. Um, uh, I'm going to give a summary of the case first. Next, each party will have seven minutes to address the board, the appellant for the first five minutes, the respondent for seven minutes, and then the appellant for an additional two minutes. Um, reminding the parties uh, that this is not a new hearing of your case and no new evidence may be presented to the board. Your presentation must be based on the evidence that was before the hearing examiner. Uh, after each party has spoken, the board will deliberate and take action on the appeal. Uh, now, if you'd like, Chair, I can go ahead and give my presentation. Yeah, that would be great. <clears throat> Thank you. Good evening, commissioners. This is an appeal. excuse me, where the hearing examiner awarded a total reduction of $4,085.65 to compensate the tenant for various substandard conditions throughout the course of the tenancy, including for bathroom plumbing, lack of heat, common utility room issues, electrical system deficiencies, lack of functioning smoke and carbon monoxide detectors, and substantial deterioration of various parts of the unit and common areas. On appeal, the landlord disputes the factual basis for the hearing examiner's decision, arguing that the conditions identified as inadequate were, in fact, in good repair, and that the hearing examiner relied on false assumptions and false statements from the tenant. Landlord also argues that the decision reflects a bias against property owners. The landlord fails to support any of these claims. The tenant moved into this one-bedroom unit on August 1st, 2021, paying a rent of 2000 a monthly rent of $2,050. A tenant filed the instant petition on August 8, 2022, asserting a number of substandard conditions. The hearings unit initially scheduled a hearing for September 30th, 2022. Landlord submitted a request for continuance, which the hearing examiner granted. Pursuant to the landlord's request, the hearing was rescheduled for October 28th, 2022. And that on that date, only the tenant appeared. The landlord did not appear or submit any requests for continuance, even though he had initially requested the continuance from the initial date. The tenant submitted substantial evidence supporting his claims, including written correspondence between the parties, pictures, and several city housing code enforcement reports that indicated a number of substandard conditions, both in the unit and common areas of the property. The tenant also provided credible testimony at the hearing regarding the alleged substandard conditions. Um, for many of which the hearing examiner granted a rent reduction. Landlord did not appear or testify regarding the conditions. He simply attempts to rebut all of tenants' evidence and testimony by submitting a private inspection by a company called Golden Gate Home Inspections. Uh, the report indicated that the unit appeared to be in, quote, ser serviceable condition. As the hearing examiner noted in his decision, uh, this report did not indicate what standard the home inspection service used to determine what the unit, uh, what made the unit serviceable, um, and made no mention regarding whether the unit was compliant with various housing codes. In contrast, the city, uh, the city's housing inspectors specifically made determinations that the unit had a number of housing code violations. The landlord offers no legal support for any of the claims on appeal, nor for reversal or remand of the decision. Furthermore, a review of the record establishes that the hearing examiner's reductions were supported by substantial and extensive documentary evidence, including correspondence between the landlord and tenant, 
photographs, several detailed housing code enforcement inspection reports, and compelling testimony under oath by the tenant. The decision, the decision is consistent with state law, the rent ordinance, and board precedent. Legal staff recommends the decision be affirmed. Thank you. So the, we're now gonna move to the parties. Um, the moving party will go first. Um, can you hear me? We can. I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, my name is Michael Parto. I am the appellant of petition T5991. This entire episode was created by the petitioner, Mr. Vivek Nair, who was the tenant of apartment number 14 at 2705 Ridgewood, Berkeley. He did not pay rent. He did not pay his rent for five months, months of May, June, July, August, and September of 2022. In order to justify his violations of his lease, he came up with the idea of falsely complaining about the condition of premises. For that, he asked the help of City Housing Code Enforcement, or HCE. In response to his request, HCT performed three inspections of the premises. I was not present for the first inspection dated April 27, 2022, because I was not notified properly and had conflict with another commitment. For the second inspection, dated July 28, 2022, I provided the tenant with a 24-hour notice and was present to participate in the inspection. The tenant, the petitioner, Mr. Nair, allowed the inspectors in the premises, but prevented, but prevented me, the property owner, from entering the premises. Again, HCE conducted their inspection without the presence and without participation of the property owner. Once I saw the inaccurate inspection reports, which included some 41 false inspection statements, I had an independent, highly skilled, certified building inspector with many years of experience to carry on the inspection of the property. The result showed all elements of the property in good working condition with no code violation. I then took legal action against HCE. In response to the legal action, HCE scheduled the third inspection of the premises, which took place on September 29, 2022. I was present, the, I, the landlord was present during that inspection and asked the inspector to show me and prove to me, prove to me one by one the 41 code violations they had stated in their last two inspection reports. While the HCE inspector became very agitated and nervous, he could not, he could not show or prove any of the 41 code violations in the property which he had falsely stated in the report of previous two inspection reports. In his report of, the, of this inspection, however, he left about five code violations for face-saving purposes, 
all of which were false and were responded to. The rent board decision and all of the calculation and analysis for reducing the rent ceiling for the premises are based on the first two inaccurate inspection reports, which included 41 false inspection statements. This makes their analysis, calculations, and decision inaccurate and false and should be denied. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, we'll go to the respondent and you'll have seven minutes. Hello, can you see and hear me? Um, yes. Great. Uh, hello, my name is Vivek Nair. I'm a student at UC Berkeley and the tenant and original petitioner for the case at hand, as well as the respondent to the pending appeal. I want to thank the Rent Stabilization Board for hearing my objections to this appeal today. It's my position that the hearing examiner made the correct decision uh, based on the evidence presented at the original hearing and acted in a fair and consistent manner with respect to the applicable Rent Stabilization Board regulations. And I concur with the legal staff's recommendation that the appeal should be denied and the decision of the hearing examiner should be affirmed. I want to begin by pointing out that this was a very clear-cut petition as it was substantiated by not one, but two separate notices of violation from the City of Berkeley's Housing Code Enforcement Unit. In these notices, two separate city officials, Inspector Frank Darling and Inspector Jay Marlette, both concur on at least 28 separate code violations to the unit in question. And as I testified in the initial hearing, I was present at each of these inspections and confer can confirm uh, that I personally witnessed each of the violations cited by the inspectors. The appellate, Mr. Partow, by his own admission, was not present at either of these inspections and simply claims that they're invalid. Instead, he, he's baselessly asserting that the both inspectors misrepresented all 28 violations uh, in their notices of violation. As you know, it is very common practice for this board to accept HCE notices as evidence in tenant petitions, and there's no conceivable reason for this board to deviate from that practice. He's also claimed that he didn't receive uh, a notice of the first inspection, which is contradicted by evidence on the record showing that HCE sent him a letter informing him of the inspection. He then claims that uh, he provided notice a uh, 24-hour uh, notice to participate in the second inspection. This is also contradicted by evidence in the record, which suggests that he was denied access by the inspectors on the basis that no proper notice was given. He also mentions a legal action uh, against, the, uh, uh, against the city of Berkeley as supposed evidence that the uh, inspection reports were invalid. And I want to note that uh, this case has already been dismissed with prejudice by the Alameda County Superior Court. Um, and the only other evidence that Mr. Partow has, has mentioned is the report of a privately hired inspector. However, this inspection cannot rebut the HCE's findings because it was a general housing serviceability uh, assessment rather than specifically inspecting for compliance with the City of Berkeley Housing Code. It was a much less thorough inspection than those of the HCE. 
Uh, and for example, it simply verified the presence of a smoke detector, whereas HCE verified whether it's actually operational. That's just one example. So, um, you know, the, and also the inspection report directly states in his uh, own privately hired inspection report that repairs were actively being made to the unit during the inspection. Uh, so the hearing examiner carefully considered his report and the two uh, uh, HCE reports and correctly concluded that his privately hired report does not overcome the evidence of multiple inspections by two different City of Berkeley officials, as well as my own testimony. And because the evidence on the record overwhelmingly supports the de decision of the examiner, Mr. Apartau has now repeatedly attempted to introduce new evidence after the record was sealed, including much of his testimony that he just provided. And of course, this is not permitted by the rent board regulations, specifically section 1242, where uh, par parties shall not, uh, you know, comment on factual matters that were not presented to the hearing examiner. Um, his uh, a, a, a document statement of appeal attempted to inclu uh, include five new exhibits of evidence that were not on the record. And his current testimony attempts to introduce uh, the, the, this third inspection, which he asserts uh, that was, you know, asserts that all the uh, violations were resolved. This is, again, new testimony that should not be allowed onto the record at this time. And, and because his entire appeal is based on new evidence that is inappropriate to introduce at this time or on mere allegations, which are not supported by any evidence on the record, I, I'd like to request that, you know, if you disregard any new facts which can't be introduced at this time, then there is no factual basis for, for this appeal. Um, and. And lastly, you know, I want to note that uh, Mr. Partau has continually acted in bad faith throughout this process by repeat repeatedly failing to properly serve me and my counsel with all statements filed by this board. He's been repeatedly reprimanded by the examiner on several occasions for improper service. And this is a trend. So he personally had an eviction lawsuit against me dismissed in part because he failed to properly serve notices, after which... He attempted to and succeeded at constructively evicting me through harassment, discrimination, and retaliation. Um, so in conclusion, uh, you know, the, the legal staff recommendation notes that landlord, landlord's disregard for repeated requests uh, to submit certain documents alongside his uh, abs absence at the hearing strongly suggests that landlord had little regard for complying with the hearing process, end quote. Uh, no good cause for failure to respond or appear was ever provided by the landlord. And despite this, the landlord then baselessly claims that the rent board is biased against property owners in a flagrant attempt to bully this board into granting his meritless appeal. So I'd like to request that, you know, this board simply has to decide between the unsubstantiated unilateral uh, assertions of the appellate or the overwhelming consensus of myself, my counsel, the hearing examiner, uh, two City of Berkeley officials, and the legal staff recommendations, all of which support denying this appeal and affirming the original decision. Thank you for your consideration. Chair, you appear to be muted. Thank you so much. Um, 
it is now we're returning to the appellant. If you can, you will have now two minutes to rebut. The fact is that the decision of the rent board is based on the first two inspections by the city inspectors, which were proved to be false in the third inspection that found no credible code violations. This is issue number one. Issue number two, all of the reasons that I cannot within two minutes state to you have been already stated in my appeal dated 12-12-22, which I respectfully request the board to look at them. I think they're about five, six pages. Every item that has been discussed has already been responded. There is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely no code violation in the premises. There are 14 units. There are tenants. None of the tenants has ever complained. I've owned this property, I don't know, 16, 18 years. I have never, never, never had any tenant complaining. I have a stack of letters of thank after they vacate. This is the only, the only tenant who complained. And the reason is very clear. Nowhere in any of the uh, rent board documents shows he didn't pay rent for five months. Why didn't he pay rent for five months? He was served at a three-day notice to pay. He ignored it. We filed eviction, but it was during the moratorium. That's why it was not accepted. Now we're waiting for the time to things cool down, and I'm going to be, uh, you know, hopefully get my uh, damages. So that is all I can say. My request is only is to look at the actual evidence. Please see the statement of the appeal dated 12-12-22. Every item has been clearly stated. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Um, so that this now returns to us um, as a board. If folks um, have questions, um, this would be the, the time to do it. Um, I see uh, Vice Chair Alpert. Um, just a brief question for Councillor Brown. Um, I believe this was in your report, but I just wanted to confirm. Did the um, landlord appellant at any point provide any explanation for his failure to attend the second hearing or the second no. scheduled hearing? No. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Partlow. I have not asked you a question and you okay. have seven minutes right. to speak. So, well, they're lying. Well, that's okay. But you please, can we mute him because that's not, not the order. I was in the hospital. Um, so, um, Vice Chair, the only way that I can mute these ge these gentlemen because they are participants is to put them back on the attendee list. Is that what you'd like me to do? Um, with the discretion of the chair. <laughs> chair? Porto, you cannot um, speak unless we recognize you. Can we trust that you will do that? Thank you. Um, and then the only other question I was going to ask um, was the... This private inspection that was commissioned, even if it had, because based on the testimony and, and your presentation, their inspection was not to the same standards or to the same questions as the, the normal inspections would be. But even if it were to that standard, is a private housing inspection 
under our laws and regulations enough to satisfy completion of those things? Or would another would a would a city of Berkeley inspection have to occur? It's all circumstantial evidence. Um, but without you know um the ability to cross-examine um the inspectors on the standards that they're using in order to um uh, review um the conditions, um, you know, making sort of broad-based uh conclusory statements like serviceable doesn't really move the needle as it relates to the specific housing code violations, which the housing code inspectors who are tasked specifically with determining whether something is substandard or a housing code violation, it doesn't rise to the level, particularly with no testimony surrounding it. It, it, you know, it's, it, it, it exists on its own. I suppose the other thing that I, I would comment on is that Mr. Partow um, repeatedly made reference to the third housing inspection, um, which occurred actually 11 days after the tenant left. And so um, it, 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 it offers very little probative value um, in this case because we were looking at um, uh, housing conditions that existed during the tenant's occupancy of the unit. And that third one that, that happened on September 21st by Inspector Marlette um, uh, was 11 days after the tenant had permanently vacated. So I just wanted to offer that. No, I appreciate you raising that point. It was something I was going to say, which is if you have a housing inspection that finds deficiencies and then months later, another inspection which finds those deficiencies are no longer present, that just as likely, if not more so, suggests that deficiencies which were present had been remedied, then those deficiencies were never there in the, in the first place. Um, those were my questions. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Johnson? Uh, in a similar vein, the, doc, the, the private report that was done for the inspection of the property, here, the landlord was never actually present at the hearing to authenticate any of those documents or verify their authenticity. So how, my question to you, uh, Council Brown, is, is could there have even been any weight given to them, given the fact that they weren't actually authenticated or properly submitted into evidence? Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point, Commissioner Johnson, that, um, you know, a, a document, uh, particularly one that attempts to rebut official housing inspection reports, would require a little bit more authentication. Um, and uh, given that um, uh, the appellant, um, um, Mr. Partow, um, did not attend the hearing or submit anything other than just the, the housing report, that wasn't able to happen. I don't want to make any sort of um, broad-based statements on what the hearing examiner would or wouldn't do, but I think it's certainly a reasonable point. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Kelly. I'll be brief because I think many points have already been made, but two different housing inspectors finding similar violations. I mean, a lot of housing violations, like a not operable smoke detector, would hopefully be fixed, very easy to fix. Um, and so I agree with the comments that were made that, you know, absent some finding by the city and the dismissal of both of the code inspection officers for fraud who found these things, we have to trust the reports of the staff that work for the city. And we certainly have to give the weight of governmental service higher consideration than we would independent for-profit company paid by the landlord to find for the landlord. But even if I gave equal weight to 
the home inspector's report there's there's no there's no um there's no attestation that they looked at any Berkeley codes. There's no checklist. There's no item by item repudiation of the housing inspector's report. There's no photographs or evidence. And so um, I think this is one of the most clear cut cases um, that we've seen before on our board. Thank you. You're muted, Chair. Mr. Johnson and then Vice Chair Alpert. I just wanted to move to affirm the decision of the um, hearing examiner. And I will second. Great. Uh, can we do a roll call um, vote unless there are other, if any other um, members wanted to make any comments or questions or discussion? Okay, I'm not seeing any hands raised. Um, <clears throat> roll call vote. Motion to affirm the hearing examiner's decision. Alpert? Aye. Elkstrand? Yes. Johnson? Yes. Kelly? Yes. Marrero? Yes. Martinak? Yes. Mizell? Yes. Walker? Yes. Simon Weisberg? Yes. Motion carries unanimously. Great. Um, thank you to the parties. If you have any other um, questions, you can um, reach out to our council tomorrow. Thank you. All right, we will now be moving to action items. Um, the The first one is um, just my chair update. I had um, added here the article around the housing element as well as the um, city of Berkeley's revised it. And well, sorry. I wanted to bring this up because I think it's important that folks, you know, continue to stay abreast of what the status is of our housing element. Um, it is a very important thing how we decide to um, work with our housing. Um, Board Secretary, you have your hand raised. Did you need me? I, I just wanted to let you know that we skipped over the consent item. So I, we should probably go back to that before we start on action. That was what I was going to hand up for. Yeah, some evenings I'm on it. Other evenings, I'm not. Um, yes. Um, we are going to now move to the consent items. Can I, does anyone, we're not really allowed to discuss anything on the, <laughs> um, on the items. And then none of them were pulled. Um, I'm going to ask for a motion to approve. I'll move to approve the consent items. And can I get a second? Seconds. Thank you. We can get a roll call vote. Alpert? Aye. Vice Chair Alpert? I couldn't hear you. Sorry, I thought I needed aye. Thank you. Elkstrand? Yes. Johnson? Yes. Kelly? Yes. Marrero? Yes. Martinak? Yes. Mizell? Yes. Walker? Yes. Simon Weisberg. Yes. Motion carries unanimously. Now on to the chair update. Great. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to highlight to my fellow commissioners that we pay attention to the housing element. Um, it is, you know, many, this is really the first round where housing elements have actually been serious, you know, been taken seriously by communities across the state and um, HCD, which is the housing and community development 
aspect of the government has actually been really reviewing them, taking them seriously, um, which is all great. Um, and I think that we need to, you know, so there were some comments that came back. We weren't totally approved, um, but I think it's just, I'm hope you know, we had discussed possibly having the, um, you know, housing and community development. I mean, the planning department that has been responsible um, for it to come and speak to us, but it was not going to work for this month. But I just want to really encourage folks to pay attention and make sure that, you know, the city of Berkeley continues um, to be affecting the process. One of the main issues that they rejected is that the list that the planning department put into our housing element were mostly properties that would not, you know, be able to provide any housing. So grocery stores, for example, they had included as potential development sites. Um, so again, I would encourage people to look at the housing element and look at the list that was provided and look in your, your community and what parts of Berkeley you live in and areas, things that should be on that list um, to encourage that. And I would encourage people to continue to participate uh, in the process. Our housing elements are only as good as uh, the community demands. Um, the next item under action is discussion and possible action to deliver official communication to council recommending that it extend the eviction moratorium um, beyond the expiration of the state of emergency. And that was by the Lyric Committee. Um, committee Chair, do you want to speak to that? And I would just request that before we take any action that we would go to public comment on that item. Um, Chair, if you don't mind, uh, Committee Chair Kelly, if you don't mind, uh, Chair um, Simon Weisberg, would it would it be helpful for you to review what happened at four by four yesterday? That's what um, I was going to ask. Okay. Sure. Um, what happened at four by four um, was that the the mayor expressed his um, belief that on February twenty eighth. Um, that they're, they're going, it's, it's going to be on the city agenda, the city council agenda, that they um, decide whether the, there's going to be an end to the local emergency in the city of Berkeley. Our moratorium is tied to that. Um, the uh, motion, that there was lots of discussion. Um, the, the motion that was voted on unanimously was that there would be um, an extension that would match um, the county's extension. I don't know if folks realize that the county moratorium, which is really what's covering us, um, what, what will probably also likely end um, February 28th. And, but it lasts for 60 days beyond the end of the state of emergency. So upon those 60 days ending, um, which would probably be May 1st, that's when the first time it would matter what is happening in Berkeley. And they're asking that there be an extension of only 60 days, which only would mean that essentially it might end at the same time. But what the proposal is, is that instead of the moratorium completely ending then, that essentially would not end until September 1st. But it's not the moratorium as it is, but instead there would be what I've been describing as step down. Other people are using... Um, there's another phrase for a similar uh, a ramp down. The, that essentially um, 
as of May 1st, you would be able to do a owner move-in if you only the you only owned one property in the city of Berkeley and you were evicting to move that person in. All other protections that apply to those evictions would um, still apply, such as you can't evict somebody who's lived there for five years and is elderly. You can't evict somebody during the school year if there is a school-aged child who attends a you know in our our district. And it's actually older than and any, it's any school age person, including, is that through 12th grade council for owner move-ins? It, yeah, it, uh, if the school year prohibition uh, applies to all minors um, uh, who, uh, who occupy a household. So it does not include um, if you're at university, at least if you're over 18. Correct. Um. It also will allow landlords to serve a three-day notice and move forward on it um, if the if they're alleging that the tenant has not paid rent and the tenant does not provide um, probably a declaration. I don't think that the details have been worked out, but kind of modeling what we call, I've been referring to as the Los Angeles option because what this is what what they've had the entire time during the moratorium is that landlords could allege that the tenant could pay that they weren't not paying because of a covid related issue and the tenants would have to you know prove that they were um while i think it's been incredibly important that our county has had seen the least amount of tenants evicted in the state has seen the least increase of uh, homelessness in the state so obviously our moratorium was, has been very successful and prevented many, many hardships and health, bad health outcomes. Um, as a step down, we will, we're saying, so if you have been not paying and your landlord couldn't evict you, but you can pay, um, then the landlord essentially can go forward at this point. Um, and if you can't pay, but it's not a COVID related issue, they can also go forward. Obviously, I don't think any of us are excited about a universe where people are going to be evicted, but I think that from a legal standpoint, we're now in a space where we're going to have trouble, you know, with the the legal part of that potentially. And, um, and so I think that this is the best way for us to be able to maintain as much of the protections as possible. The no-fault evictions would continue. And the, the bar of no-fault evictions, with the exceptions of owner move-ins under that narrow piece, um, would continue. But as of September 1st, all everything would go back to the, the way it is. Now, this is the motion recommendation that was made um, to council. Now, that doesn't, you know, so it's not, that's decided we're all good, but that was the um, 4 by 4 recommendation. Do any of the members of the 4 by 4 want to add? Um, if I missed any details. All right. So that is, um, so I would just would maybe bring back to the Lyra. Is there a piece of that that you would like? I mean, what, what, um, what would you like us to add to? I mean, it's weird, right? Because the orders already kind of happened. Um, the kind of decision of the committee was to bring to the full board the suggestion that we adopt some position asking city council to take some action to make sure that there was some sort of 
period, we were talking mostly about 60 days to match the county that, you know, when the state, local state of emergency goes away, that it's not the next day people are being, you know, immediately served, especially because the mind boggles that we're 12 days away from a potential change in that rule and that people wouldn't even know yet. I mean, it really just, it feels very absurd that um, that there's not a clear plan for something that's been the most predictable emergency for of the last 16 months that at some point this would end. Um, and it really is, I, I think everyone kept thinking that the state would do something wiser or more, um, you know, technical. So personally, I think that the motion that we would have put tonight would have just been to send a letter to city council asking them to try to coordinate more closely with the county on an extension. Seems like the 4 by 4 has already kind of taken that action, and I don't really see a need for the rent board to get into supporting the minor details that were discussed at the 4 by 4 I think that we can, personally, I'm satisfied with the 60-day request got put out, the matching with the county request got put out. I don't think we need to separately go on record um, supporting the motion from the 4 by 4 unless other commissioners would like to. Well, my my only thought is that, um, you know, I would just encourage all of the commissioners to attend the February 28th meeting and make sure that we, you know, lend our voice to the concerns that we we may or may not have in terms of what goes forward. Because even though that those were the, that was the, you know, consensus of the four by four, um, it doesn't, it's not enough votes to make um, it happen alone. So, um, I just think it's really important that we, you know, um, attend that meeting and, you know, express our opinions um, and share in our community and get other folks um, to turn out. Um, I'm going to, um, there is a hand raised and we haven't had um, anyone speak. Um, so, Mr. We have one speaker. Did you want to go ahead and speak, Mr. Boss? Uh, yeah, hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, yeah, so I'm, again, I'm very, um, I'm very new to all this. Uh, I lost my father pretty tragically. Um, he bought the house in the Berkeley Hills when I was a young boy. Uh, I sort of took over the house and I've been watching over my mother and watching over the house. I, I said a lot of this in the beginning, so I don't mean to repeat myself, but it's not always uh, big conglomerate landlords that have a ton of money. Um, me and my mother do not have a lot of money and we rely on um, the rent income to, to pay the bills. And she recently just got a blood clot in her leg and she was in the ER and, um, you know, the, the amount of money that I have not been getting from, uh, um, somebody that's been taking over multiple rooms in the house, which not only I want her to be able to move in there so she doesn't have to go up and down the stairs, um, at my house. Uh, so it's, just, I, I'm just hoping, I mean, I, I think Berkeley and San Francisco are the only two cities in California that still have the state of emergency going on. Um, she's gainfully employed. She's just taking advantage of the situation and not paying rent. And I'm just imploring 
you guys to lift that and be able for me to, you know, I've been running out. My dad died in 2010. So I've been renting out rooms for a long time. And this is the only issue that I've had. And it's not a situation where she's completely dire or she'll be homeless or anything like that. She's just taking advantage of the fact that she doesn't have to pay rent. So I'm trying to take notes and learn as much as I can. Uh, I'm just, I'm just imploring you and, and, and asking the board to have mercy on situations where it's not like big time rich people that are renting rooms out and profiting off of it. There are, there are people that are doing that just to pay their bills. That's all. And I appreciate your consideration. Um, just to be clear though, there are many, many places that still have the moratorium in place, not just San Francisco. And it's all of Alameda County and Sonoma um, and Richmond continues as, lo- as well as Los Angeles. So there's there's quite a few, um, it, it, you, it's almost half the population is still under a moratorium in California. So um, moving on to, I don't see any other, any other comments. Oh, um, okay. Uh, Commissioner um, Elstrom, did you want to speak? Yeah, just very briefly. I, I think it's important to clarify to you know, members of the public that the, um, the eviction moratorium, which is tied to the local state of emergency, is something that was authorized by the city council. So the rent board, as 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 a body, does not have the authority to you know extend or or, or end the moratorium. That's ultimately the authority of council. So you know, I would recommend um, members of the public that are interested in this attend the meeting on February twenty. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I did um, listen in to the four by four committee, and I, I do agree with um, um, the recommendations that were made there. Okay, thank you. And and excellent point in terms of we we do not have the power either way. Um, we only have authority over these things in normal times, but we don't have the authority to tweak our ordinance. Um, all right. And actually, normally the council doesn't have the power to do that. They can only do it presently because of the pandemic. All right. Um, I'm going to move on unless any, particularly if anyone from Lyra had any additional comments, um, I'll move on to the next item. Okay. Um, so we're now in information announcements, articles, and media. Um, and first, we're going to go to the update on providing mediation services and technical assistance to the town of Fairfax. Executive Director. Sorry, trying to unmute myself. Good evening, everyone. I just wanted to give you all a quick update um, that we have received the final version. There was quite some editing back and forth between um, us in the the town of Fairfax for a contract. Um, I am expected to sign the contract um, tomorrow afternoon after we all the small grammatical errors (laughs) that are on the contract and then get it back to the town of Fairfax for um, an execution date of March 1st, where we will, again, we will be doing the hearings and mediations for them. And in the case that they have appeals, um, we will also be doing that service for them. We are providing um, uh, non-monetary services of technical assistance as it relates to registration and outreach, um, but we are doing services again for uh, mediations, hearings, and in the cases where there are appeals. 
Uh, this has been a kind of um, a discussion and a work in progress for a couple of months. So we're happy that we're coming to a close to execute a contract between us and the town of Fairfax. Great. Um, well, I, for one, just want to thank you for, um, you know, supporting other budding communities um, that are trying to do this. It's, you know, Fairfax is the smallest city in America to have rent control. And one of the things that's hard to do, um, and I know Emeryville doesn't have a lot of resources and are in often, I feel like, aren't able to provide the same quality of uh, protections because they don't have any of the administration and they came to that conclusion because of the size of the city. Um, so this has been a really important, um, you know, solution for Fairfax. And obviously these services are being paid for and not um, by our anyone in Berkeley, these are services they are paying for directly. So in the same way, sometimes the city contracts with us to do additional services um, that are beyond the ordinance. All right, um, moving on, uh, just to let folks know that we did send out the, um, the letter to the university and um, thank you to Commissioner Moreto for um, helping draft that. Um, the, we also sent a letter to Assemblymember Haney conveying our support of AB 12. Um, I don't have any updates on how it's progressing. The deadline for legislation is um, at the end of the month, I believe. And so we, we sh will start seeing them, um, you know, seeing what happens with all the different bits of legislation. Um, then, wow, we're already at... Um, just reminding everyone that March 5th is the deadline to submit additional agenda topics. Um, and we'll now move on to updates from the different um, committees. I'm very excited that so many folks have. Uh, Amy, did you have a... Sorry, just very briefly. Um, there's a typo on the agenda, which is my fault. The date to submit agenda items and topics for the March regular board meeting is actually Monday, March 6th, not March 5th. That's all. Cool. All right. And all right. So budget and personnel. Um, it's also exciting to hear who all the new, we haven't actually gotten to hear who the new chairs are um, of the different committees. So committee chair Walker, you want to give us an update from the budget and personnel committee? Yes, um, this was the first um, budget and personnel committee meeting for this year. Um, the new committee chair was elected. It was myself. Um, rent board staff presented on a budget cycle and process overview that included the annual budget cycle review, setting the annual registration fee, modifications to the staffing model, um, evaluating the use of the board's reserve, due to unexpected um, expenditures, um, executive director and general counsel evaluation. There was a brief update on a 3DI cleanup project, which is still moving forward uh, in preparation for the next registration cycle. There was an update on the rent board office relocation. Executive director Williams informed us that the relocation process has officially begun and the internal committee has been formed. The committee agreed to include the office relocation process and progress as a standing item on the agenda. 
there was a presentation and discussion on the mid fiscal year um, budget review. Executive Director Williams gave an update on the current recruitment efforts and vacant positions. The rent board um, staff also gave a presentation on the recommendations for fiscal year 2023-2024 registration fee for fully covered and measure MM units. There was no action taken at this meeting. Our next meeting will, is set for February 22nd at 3.30, where we will be continuing the annual fee discussion. Great, thank you so much. That was a great report. And I expect everyone else to give that quality report. Um, who is the um, chair for the eviction committee? Has the eviction committee met? They don't have a chair. They haven't met yet. <laughs> or I'm sorry, their their former chair is still the chair. <laughs> yeah, chair, we, we we attempted to schedule a meeting and did not get all the commissioners availability, but we'll do that as soon as possible, hopefully before March, so we can remain remote for our first meeting. All right, make it happen. Um, all right, next to uh, Lyra. Um, uh, I believe the chair is, um, committee chair is Commissioner Kelly. It is, but I actually have my hand up to ask Major Walker a question about personnel. Oh, yeah. Um, which may not have come up yet, but were we given any, were you given any status updates on the hiring timelines for the new positions we've approved that haven't been filled yet? Like the um, additional staff member in the public information unit? Would you like me to answer that? Yes. <laughs> we did give a brief update. So the two vacancies, which are OS2s, um, are going to be set for hiring and hopefully based off of HR doing what they need to do on their end for mid-March. Um, and then there is a right in the middle of a beginning, well, the beginning process of a fiscal manager position, which interviews started today. And we hope by April that will happen. That's wonderful. That mid-March would be wonderful if, you know, given the 60 days from now. So perfect timing. Um, I was uh, glad to be reelected Lyra chair. We talked about our work plan a little bit for the year. Um, one of the main items we already updated on was the conversation about the extension of the um, moratorium which we discussed already so i won't update on that the commissioners talked about um just kind of organizing our work plan a little bit better since this is a year for us to really do more policy work since it's not an election year and since the last two years were so dominated by covid um so there's a number of ordinances that we want to work on cleaning up and looking at some detailed things such as what resources tenants have access to there's some city services that you have to be the homeowner to call for, like bulky waste pickup. Um, we wanted to make sure to um, align our meetings that they're scheduled better so that they're um, far enough out that referrals that should go through the this cycle should have enough time for staff to do a report and bring them to the full board. So that should be a little bit cleaner in terms of a process. Um, and we also want to be mindful of how our role might be changing with the four by four meeting less frequently. Um, we have a lot of new commissioners on the Lear this year, and so we're probably expecting to have more commissioners' ideas of what they want to bring forward to work on at our next meeting, and uh, working with um, almost an executive director 
with um, our attorney and, and commission secretary, Matt Brown, to try to calendar out our work plan for the year a little bit better so that we can kind of have more time to bring more fleshed out proposals forward. Um, and that might mean hearing something more than once and not necessarily moving it forward the first meeting it comes to us because there's not a lot of urgency this year. We have time to do the legwork for things that need to be adopted in the next year. So uh, that's our update. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and now on to outreach. Um, who was elected chair? Um, vice chair. Uh, yeah, so we've had two outreach committee meetings. Um, we had our regular meeting on the 31st, and we're now moving to um, the second uh, Thursday, so one week before our rent board meeting, which will be our regular meeting date. Um, at the meeting on January 31st, we primarily discussed the tenant survey. Um, basically, there is we've had difficulties um, getting the response rate we, we were hoping for um, for the survey for a number of different reasons. And so they are planning, uh, you know, staff in coordination with the firm that we hired to conduct the survey are planning one more push to get um, the already selected random sample. But we're going to give them one more contact to try and get them to respond. And then they're going to send out a lighter touch uh, uh, survey request to a new random sample. Um, so we, you know, other other commissioners who are uh, present welcome to chime in if there are any other details um they'd like to highlight but basically the survey uh, responses are you know still not where we want them to be and we're trying to get them uh, higher targets um and then the meeting on uh last week on february 15th or yesterday rather on february 15th um primarily uh we had the opportunity to meet the members of our staff in the public information unit and discuss the uh, work plan for the year and some of the different kind of broader uh, strategies and uh, strategies and uh, techniques we use to do outreach and communicate about the rent board. And we uh, discussed some uh, kind of at future meetings, having a, a you know, more robust conversation around exploring potential outreach strategy options uh, in terms of, kind of what, what is financially feasible um, and available to us. And also discussed um, how we measure metrics of success in terms of outreach. Great, excellent. Um, so we're on to the four by four, and what I mean, obviously, we already spoke about um, kind of what the approach is around the moratorium. Um, the the other big piece that we talked about, I, I think folks know that we have been kind of struggling to perfect the demolition ordinance. Um, that has been going on, I think, my entire tenure on the, the REMP board. Um, and, and part of kind of one of the, the difficulties has been around what happens when they do demolish uh, rent-controlled units, what, what replaces it. And because there's so, so much tension about that, we find ourselves, you know, trying to do everything possible to prevent the demolition of any rent-controlled housing, which sometimes that makes a lot of sense. Sometimes it feels like we're going to get 50 new units um, in exchange for four rent-controlled units. There's got to be a way to have a win-win. And, you know, the, the, the tension has been between wanting to be able to make sure that, that if you keep the rent control of the unit that gets, that it replaces. So in Berkeley, you have to replace it one for one. So if you demolish a rent-controlled unit, 
you have to replace it one for one. But the problem is, is that when you cover it with just rent control, then it becomes essentially a market rate unit after one tenant um, moves out. And so, but there's all these wonderful things about being under rent control in addition to just being rent controlled. One of them is that the landlord can't change the terms of tenancy. Um, another is, is that when there are bad conditions, you can file a, a petition to the rent board to get your rent reduced, which often will inspire the landlord to make those repairs. Um, and so, you know, and I felt like we kept going back and forth. And so again, just a shout out to um, to our attorney, Ollie, as well as our planner, um, B, who worked with me in a very short period of time to come up with essentially a hybrid. And what, you know, the while we've all been saying, why can't we just have the best of both worlds? Um, B was able to essentially remember that we have a property already. And I should have had the the slides up because I don't know how many people were here when they lift, literally lifted a apartment building <laughs> and moved it from Walnut Street over to behind the, there's a shop called Curiosity across from the high school. And behind it is a craftsman and that is under rent control because it used to be under rent control and it continues to be under rent control. And it is a hybrid. So the market, every time that a unit there gets, um, is empty, a tenant moves, um, then it is um, the amount of money that, you know, the, the, the amount of rent is um, regulated as a below market rental, but it's still under rent control and under our jurisdiction. And those tenants have those protections. So we wanted to use something that already exists in the city that we've already done this as a model. And, um, and so that is the proposal that, um, and the committee asked that um, gave direction to the city attorney um, and the planning department to look at the proposal and, um, you know, do some analysis, both legal and um, I don't know what planning people do, planning this, um, and to make sure it could, you know, to see if there were any other barriers that they, um, you know, that would unearth that we should consider. So I don't know. I was very excited. I feel like if we could get this right, and this this opening only happens because of SB 330, which um, Skinner, who is termed out soon, um, who is a senator, basically said, you can have these options afterwards. So fingers crossed that they'll be able to um, create that. Now, that being said, it is still incumbent upon uh, the REM board to obtain that um, that authority that we could also accept these units. So that means we need to we'll need to update our charter, be you know hopefully at the um, next election to allow us to do it. And that is my update. So if anybody has any additional comments or questions, um, I'm not seeing any. So we're going to move on to the ad hoc committee on environmental sustainability have you guys had a chance to meet okay um staff did just send out madam chair um a request to all the committee members to respond in order to schedule that there was an email from nate today if folks haven't seen that and so then that first meeting should be happening between now and our next meeting thank you very much 
And then um, the two by two, I know we had we had reached out to the um, school board. Have we gotten any response back yet? Response from one, still waiting on the other. We're playing a little bit of an email tag. Okay, great. So hopefully that'll be soon. And any updates or announcements? All right. Any discussion of items for possible placement on future agenda? All right. Oh. All right. So at this point, I, um, I have I have something I would like to share. Um, I I emailed this to Director Williams as well, and I also mentioned it in the outreach uh, meeting. But just for formality, the um, there's going to be a, a a program that's going to help with um, emergency um, disaster preparedness, especially for the Latinx population. It's called Listos, um, and there's a number of different RFPs that nonprofit organizations can apply for. And given the natural disasters that have occurred and will continue to occur due to our climate crisis, I thought that it would be great for um, Berkeley to kind of just get in on this. So I sent the resource to Director Williams. I'm just mentioning it here. Thank you. Is that for the public to apply for, or is it for organizations? It's for community-based organizations. So any community-based organizational leader who listens in on any of these meetings um, could apply for the RFPs. There's three different RFPs they can apply for. Great. Um, I mean, maybe we want to put we, that's something to put out on the our Facebook page. Um, what was the other thing? Also, are we showing a, a film? Did we make that announcement about that? I feel like I know we did, but I think it was at a different committee. We have not made the announcement yet. It's literally on my press to send. I was going to do it tomorrow morning, but I will do it at the completion of this meeting. Do you want me to make the announcement now? Yeah, if you don't mind. Okay, so there will be a screening um, of the documentary um, that we have opened. It's uh, already posted on the web on the web page. It is on our website, and it is already on the Facebook page. I haven't sent the inform the formal invite to commissioners and staff yet, um, but that will be next Wednesday um, at one o'clock. Matter of fact, let me just open up my email. It is next Wednesday from one to two thirty. Um, the filmmaker, uh, Mr. Doug Harrison, will be opening the um, screening. It will be a remote screening. We'll be opening the screening and having some discussion. Um, with all of the attendees before the actual screening of the film. So we're, we're really excited and I really appreciate PIU staff, Moni, Nate, um, and the rest of the PIU staff, as well as Amy and Jen Babish who posted it and got the Zoom together, uh, making sure that we were able to have this event. So all are invited. Again, it's open to the public um, and it will be screened uh, February 22nd at one o'clock. Great, excellent. All right. Um, so at this point, we don't, we are not adjourning yet, but what we, um, we will be going into closed session. Pursuant California Government Code, Section 549-56.9A, the board will convene in closed session for an update on litigation. All right. So just make sure that what happens now is that we, um, you know, you can, staff will stay here. Um, we need, we'll need to have at least four come back. Um, but you will and turn off everything. So if you're somehow, I don't know how you would do it, but in both sessions at the same time. 
um, you are going to be going to a um, Teams link. So everyone will look for your Teams link. All right. And does anybody not know what, what we're talking about in terms of the Teams? Everyone looks like they're looking for it, which is good. <laughs> and people can just pop off um, as you find it. And we'll, if, we'll assume if you're still here um, that you need some help getting there. We had lots of problems at the beginning of the pandemic using it. So that's why I'm being so babyish about it. Okay.
Thanks, everyone. We are now um, back from closed session um, where there is there was no reportable action taken. Um, we will now take a motion uh, to adjourn. So moved. Second. Thank you. Can we get a roll call vote, please? Oh, I apologize. Um, Albert. Aye. Elkstrand? Yes. Johnson? Yes. Kelly? Oh, yes. <laughs> Marrero? Yes. Martinac? Yes. Maisel? Yes. Walker? Yes. Simon Weisberg? Yes. Motion carries. And I apologize. My I was having trouble with my audio. Can you tell me who moved and seconded that? I was the mover, Commissioner Johnson, to second. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Great. All right. Good evening, all. Thanks, Thanks, everyone. Everyone. Thank you, Thank everyone. you again for everyone's hard work tonight. Good night. Bye, Good night. everyone. Good night. Good night.